come, now is the time to worship. Yeah, I'd just like to make an announcement about uh, Missions Fest. Uh, hoping to just kind of get people to, who want to go to sign up. There's a sign-up sheet at the back there by the entrance on that table. Um, yeah, hoping to just kind of coordinate things so we could carpool, save a bit of money on gas, and also have people to visit with on the way there and back. So that'll be on Saturday, February 3rd. Um, 
yeah, feel free to sign up. And if you're willing to drive, you could indicate that as well on the sign-up sheet. Thanks. Anybody else? Okay. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 72. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mowing field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present, his, present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. If you are able, I invite you to stand as we sing the next.
for the offering. Loving God, we follow the Magi in giving you gifts. Use our offerings of money and time to further your kingdom so others may know the hope that is found in you. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 for our scripture reading this morning. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is the Messiah that was to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exactly the time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Good morning. It is so cold out there that the one thing I need to warm up is to talk to somebody who isn't from here so I can tell them all about how this is nothing, maybe a different time. If you have your bullets in Zanya, now is the time to pull them out. There's a couple items that we have for prayer on there. Uh, I'm going to add on a couple more also. Uh, one is, is that, uh, as we announced a while ago, Evelyn uh, Rogers, she was having a shoulder surgery. Well, she's had it now, and uh, she is doing well. Uh, she is recovering, and we just want to continue to pray that she continues to recover and that uh, soon there will be no pain, that the, the shoulder will be completely healed up. So we want to pray for Evelyn there. Uh, Daryl, uh, we want to give an update there. Uh, I talked to Audrey last night pretty late, and it sounds like he is doing a whole lot better than he was at the beginning of last week. And so praise God there. Uh, his kidneys were not working there for a bit, and uh, for no discernible reason, they are now. And that is not something I can say I've ever seen happen. And so we want to say praise God for that and just a continued prayer for Daryl and Audrey during this time. He is in HSC. He's been moved to the medical ward now. So that is also a wonderful because he was just in the ER before that. And one more thing that I want to add on to here. Uh, Zarel, she's going to be having a surgery on Thursday. 
Uh, and while originally they were hoping it would just be a day surgery, she'd come home. Now it's likely going to be overnight and possibly even uh, up to three nights. And that is, uh, that is going to be a very hard time. And so once she gets home, even then it's going to be a couple weeks of her just being on soft food. And so we just want to pray that the surgery goes well. We want to pray for Jane and Brady uh, during the recovery as well. Uh, just that that's going to be a difficult one, and they've had an awful lot of difficult times with surgeries. So we want to pray for Jane. We want to pray for Brady. We want to pray for Zarel that she heals up well. And so, if you bow with me now in a word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you so very much for who you are. We thank you so very much for how we have seen you at work. We thank you so very much that Evelyn managed to get in for her surgery, even though it was looking there like she might be bumped, and we thank you so very much that it seems to have gone very well. So God, we pray for continued healing for her. God, we pray that she takes it easy in the way that she needs to so that things will be right as rain and that there will be no more pain in her shoulder. God, that, that we certainly pray. But thank you so much for healing her up so far and being with the doctors as they did that surgery. And God, we also want to say thank you for Daryl. Thank you that he is doing better than he was earlier in this week. Thank you that his kidneys seem to be working again. And God, we pray, help it to continue on like that. Help all of the different things that need to happen in order for him to be right as rain to happen. Lord, when we heard earlier in the week that he was heading into the hospital and then to HSC, the list of symptoms he had, we were deeply concerned. And so we thank you so much that things are looking in a good way. But God, we pray for continued healing. God, we pray that soon he will be out of the woods. God, we pray that soon he will be exactly how he needs to. God, we also want to pray for Audrey. This is an awful lot, and it has been for such a long time. God, we pray, give, you, give her continued strength. God, we pray, calm her heart. God, we pray, help her to be the support that she needs to be during this time. And make sure that she gets the support that she needs during this time as well. Please remind us all to continue praying, to all continue reaching out. But Lord, thank you for the news so far. God, we want to bring before you also little Zarel. This is so many surgeries that she's had in such a short life. God, we pray that this upcoming one on Thursday won't be bumped for any reason whatsoever and that it will be a success. That exactly the healing that needs to happen will happen and it will happen quickly. We pray that the time that is spent overnight in the hospital isn't something that completely messes with the schedule, that completely sets in such a bad way as often those types of things can for children so young. God, we pray for Jane as she cares for Zarel. We pray, give her the patience that she needs, give her the longevity that she needs, give her exactly what she needs to care for her after this surgery. 
We pray also for Brady as, she takes, as he takes care of Remington, God. We pray that, that you give him exactly what he needs during this time as well. Lord, we pray that soon, well, soon enough, the surgeries that Zarell is having will come to an end and that they will be done and that they will all be successful and that they can be just something that are remembered in hindsight. We bring Zarell before you now. And God, as we start a new year, we also want to say thank you for Kids Connect starting up. Lord, we thank you that it was a good night. Lord, we thank you that all of the different pieces fell into place. <clears throat> and we pray a blessing on Kids Connect and all of those involved and all of those attending over the next few months. God, we thank you for the blessing that it has been to our church. We thank you that the blessing that it has been to our community and the children in it. And Lord, we pray that everything that you want it to be, everything you need it to be to build your kingdom here, that it is that, that it is open to you every moment of every day. Lord, we put before you kids connect. God, all of these things we bring before you this morning. And all of these things we place at your feet. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, oh yes, Kids Connect, uh, not Children's Church. Uh, into the back, your teacher will find you and send you on your way. All right, I am, as we move into the sermon, going to ask your patience. I almost certainly will break out coughing at some point. We decided to end our vacation in exactly the way that vacations are meant to end, by getting a respiratory infection of some sort. And now it's cleared up, but every once in a while, and you, you still get a little bit. But we are now, as you can see, in the season of epiphany. It is a season that we don't talk as much about as other seasons of the church, like Lent, like Christmas, like... Uh, Advent, like Easter. But it's an important season all the same. It's an important season because it is the time of the year that we talk about how God has come for all people and how wonderful that is. How God has come for all people. If only we'd recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God and follow him. And how wonderful that is. And the passage that we use to kick off Epiphany is a passage that often we don't actually think of as a passage that should be in this period of time. It's a passage we usually put in the middle of Christmas, and that is the story of the wise men in Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12 that we heard earlier. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12, if you have your Bibles on you. We usually think of that as a Christmas passage because there's gifts given, so how is it not a Christmas passage? But as we're going to see in just a little bit, the questions that that passage is asking, that Matthew is asking us to answer in it, it, it really does fit a lot better here, a lot better in Epiphany where we praise God for all that he has done. And so, Matthew 2, verses 
1 to 12. And we begin. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Oh. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, uh, where would the Messiah be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So there's a couple questions that pop out to us right away. And that, they're all questions that kind of are important to understanding what it is that Matthew was trying to gun at in this passage. And the first is, how many of us know what magi are? or wise men, depending upon what your Bible says. I'm betting not many. We have something like them today, but we don't really have that same thing. Uh, but the Magi, we come across them in other places in the Bible as well. If you've ever read the book of Daniel, I recommend. It is a book that is half very trippy apocalyptic literature, and the other half is stories that we know, like the lion's den and things like that. But in it, you have a guy named Daniel, and he is an advisor to the king of Babylon and then Persia. And Daniel is said to be the chief of the Magi. So what is it that Daniel does? Well, Daniel is the one that the king asks questions about, questions that the king doesn't know. He has a dream. He wants to know what it is that it means. Well, he talks to Daniel. He talks to the Magi. He has an idea of something that he wants to do. What does he do? He talks to Daniel. He has an idea about some upcoming legislation that's going to happen. Well, he talks to the Magi. That is what a magi is. They are the royal advisors of their day. They, they are the experts that the kings consult on when they are doing ruling. Often we kind of get a bit confused by that because they're doing all of these fantastical, all these magical things. But this is a period of time where magic, as we would think of it, and science, as we would think of it, is all just a big blurry mess, right? They don't really have those distinctions like we do. And so magi are just as likely to talk about what dreams mean as they are to make up some healing potions as they are to do this, that, and the other thing. But that's what magis are. They're, they're the royal advisors. And we're told that the magi are coming out of the east so that they can find the king that is born as marked by this star. The idea that if something changes in the heavens, like a supernova or something like that, clearly that means that somebody important is born. That is a very well-attested-to thing that happens 
in all throughout the ancient Near East. And so the idea that there is this star that is shining and so they're gonna come out and they're gonna find it, that, that isn't an odd thing at all. Neither is the fact that where are you going to find a king that is so important that a star was formed just to announce his birth? Well, you're probably gonna go to Jerusalem. You're probably gonna go to the capital city. You're probably gonna talk to the king because who else will know when a future king is born than the current king? I think they're kind of assuming so far in the story that Herod, who is the king of Palestine at that point, who is the king of that region, he probably knows what is up. Now, a word about Herod. Herod is not a great guy. Herod is rather famously selfish, paranoid, and cruel. And when I say famously, I mean we don't have terribly many written accounts from this period of time of different historical figures. We do about him, and they are terrible. He has killed a number of his own kids, a number of his brothers. He's married their wives. He has done things that are detestable in the eyes of the Lord and all of the people that he is ruling over. Herod is not a good guy. And so when we see right there that when the news comes that we have come to see this king and he is disturbed, that Herod is disturbed by that news, that that shouldn't be weird to us at all because, of course, he is disturbed. He has been disturbed for a whole lot less. But this is the first king that we meet in this passage. This is the first king that the Magi come across. And to say that he is a good king, that is... The exact opposite of it. He is a small, small man in that he is not great. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't work through him. Because what does happens next, right? He wants to get to the bottom of this. Even though it's his paranoia that drives him to him, he wants to understand who this king is. And so he consults all of the people that would be in the know under him. And finally, they get back to him, and they say, in Bethlehem, that's where this prophesied Messiah, this prophesied king will be. And so he relays this to the Magi. Even though he's doing it for his own selfish ends, that doesn't distract us from the fact that that is the reason that the Magi know where to go next. There's a wonderful quote from the theologian Karl Barth. God is free to work through communism in a dead dog. That sounds like a crass thing to say, but what he means there is God, if he wants to speak to people, if he wants to tell them what it is that they need to know, then even things we think of as completely unable to have God speak through them, God can use that just fine. He's God. Herod is the exact opposite of God in so many ways. He is such a terrible man, but that doesn't change the fact that God will work through him to tell the Magi where to go just fine. He is God. And so the passage goes with the Magi continuing on to Bethlehem. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasure 
priests, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We'll come back to that in just a second. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Magi find the next king that we see in this passage. But it is not the king over any great region. It is not the king as we think of him. It is a little child who is with his mother. And when they see him, while when they met Herod in the first place, there's kind of this weird back and forth before finally they get sent on. When they see Christ, they worship him. And not only do they worship him after they have given all of these gifts, recognizing that he is the Lord, they commit a little bit of light treason. Because... Think about it. The Magi are these foreign advisors. They are high-born people in a different country. They are advisors to kings in a different country. Then they come here to the land of Herod, and what do they do? They directly disobey what Herod tells them to do. That is the kind of thing that wars get started over in this period of time. Like, think about what that means. That would be akin to if all of a sudden one of our MPs decided that he was going to go to a different country and then completely ignored the laws of the land. Think about how big of an incident that would be. And yet after they worship at the feet of Christ, how could they possibly listen to this lesser king? And that is Matthew 2, 1 to 12. I snickered a little bit when I came up with that. This is the story of two kings, and they're both we, just in different ways. My dad humor sometimes shows. In this passage, as I said before, Matthew is trying to ask us a very particular question. And it's a question that is important for us to grapple with as we go into the season of epiphany, as we go into the season of praising God for how he has come for all people. And what that question is, is who is the true king in this story? We come across two of them. We come across Herod, the person that we would all readily recognize as a king. I mean, he has a literal crown. He is in a palace in Jerusalem. He is acknowledged as the king of the Jews, is what it says in there. He is the king over this whole region. But at the same time, Herod is terrible. Herod is undermining everything. Herod works in his own interest. Herod after this, uh, orders a purge of a bunch of babies like he is some ancient pharaoh. Herod is small. He's wee. He's just a terrible little man. And then there's also Jesus. Jesus is somebody we wouldn't recognize as a king at this point. He's a baby or a toddler or something. We're not really told how long this is after his birth, but that he is a child still with his mother, that we know. 
And yet, we are told that this is the other king. Who is the true king? Is the question that Matthew is asking us in this passage. And how it is that he answers that goes a long way to saying why this is the passage we look at before Epiphany. And the way that he answers that is by alluding to a different passage altogether, a passage that came up in the call to worship. It's a passage in 1 Kings 10, 1 to 13. You don't need to read it. I can sum it up right now. But if you've ever heard of the Queen of Sheba, that's where you find her story. She also comes up in the book of Chronicles. And I'm pretty sure also in the MCU, but we weren't quite sure about that. That's a different telling. That one doesn't come into this. But the Queen of Sheba is a queen somewhere in the East. She is a queen that is over a kingdom of some consequence. That's all we're told. We're not told really what specific kingdom that she's in charge of, just that she's pretty well off. And suddenly one day, she starts hearing all of these rumors about this other king that exists, this other king of some consequence, this other king who's said to be wiser than there has ever been a king, this king who's said to be richer than there has ever been a king before him, this king that is said to be the truest king that has ever lived up until that point. And his name is Solomon, and he is in the kingdom of Israel. And so the Queen of Sheba, she wants to figure this out for herself. And so she packs up all of her attendants and all of these great gifts and she goes to Solomon. And we're told that she sits at his feet for a good long while. We're told that she asks him all of these deep questions, all of these big questions about things. We she told that she sees all of these wonderful grand things. And then after a certain amount of time, she recognizes that all of these rumors that she's heard about Solomon are true. He is, in fact, a king with no rival. Then she gives him some gifts, and the gifts are why we know that Matthew is kind of talking a little bit about this, alluding to this passage, because she gives gifts of fine things like gold and precious jewels and also of fine spices which would include frankincense and myrrh. The Queen of Sheba is somebody who knows what makes a good king, who knows what makes a true king, who knows what makes a king beyond rival because she is a queen herself. She spends all of this time in the royal courts. Who would know better than what a good king is than a queen? And in the same way, the Magi, who would know better what makes a true king than them? Who would know better than what makes a king beyond rival than them? These are the most learned of the most learned. These are the people that are in the presence of kings every single day of their lives. These are the people that are in the courts that get asked the big questions. That is who the Magi are. Queen of Sheba and the Magi are both people that know better than anyone what makes a true king. But here is where the two stories differ. 
Because while the Queen of Sheba surely praises Solomon, saying that you are a king without any rival, it's the Magi, when they see this little baby, that they fall down and don't only acknowledge him, but they worship him. They don't only worship him, but they cast aside the ruling of a different king because they have decided who the true king is to that extent. Who is the true king in this story? It's Jesus Christ. And he is greater than not only Herod, but by the way that the Magi react to him as compared to the queen who they are being compared to. This boy, Jesus Christ, is greater than even the great King Solomon himself, the king that is said to have no rival. As we come into the king, the season of Epiphany, this is a passage that it's important for us to begin with. Because in the season of Epiphany, the season when we praise God for the fact that he's reached out to all people, not just his chosen off in a corner, but to all people, if only they recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and follow him, that can be saved, that he's reached out to all people. This passage is important because up until this point in the story, all we've seen is a little baby that is born somewhere. And so we're left with a single question. Jesus Christ is the true king, sure. But why should we follow him? Right? All we've seen is the birth of a child. All we've seen is a little boy with his mother all we've seen is this we king. It's wonderful that God has reached out for all people. But why does that matter? Why should we follow Jesus Christ if this is all that we know about him? And in this passage today, we see the beginning of why. We see the beginning of why, because who Jesus Christ is shown to be by the people that know better than anybody else is a king that is greater than the greatest king that has ever existed. A king greater than the man who is said to be wise without any rival. Greater than the king who had power unlike anything that we can truly comprehend today. He's the king that beyond all things was said to be the leader that his people needed and then some. He was the king that was said to be beyond all kings. Why is it great that this little boy has come for all people? Because nobody, nobody, nobody knows what is better for all people than this true king.
something that we're going to see again and again and again as the rest of the gospel progresses. And that's an important thing, to recognize that. To recognize that when we follow God, when we follow Jesus Christ, when we follow him, there's a reason that that is a wonderful thing to do. When we follow Jesus Christ, there is a reason that that is for the best of us because he is the true king that knows what is best for us. And it's important for us to know that because there is no shortage of kings in this world that will try their best to get you to swear allegiance to them one way or the other. And the fact that there is no shortage of different kings of this sort or the other that will try their best to get us to swear allegiance to them means that this world is still hungry, still hungry to know who the true king is. They are searching for him because if they were not searching for him, then why would all of these other things, all of these other people, all of these other we kings be trying their absolute best to get us to say that they are the only ones that are worth our time? If nobody was searching, then nobody would try to fill the role. Though Herod may be long gone, there is no shortage of terrible things that are trying to get us to follow them instead. And that puts us Christians in a wonderful place. Because we Christians, like the Magi, we, we claim to know who the true king is. Not only did we see him when he was born in a manger, through the Holy Spirit in us, we see him every day. We see the impact that he has on us every day. As Christians, we know who the true king is, and we worship him. Every time we pray, we worship him. Every time we come before him in song, we worship him. Every time we come and gather together Sunday morning or during the week, praising our Lord, we worship him. And as we worship him, we declare that Jesus Christ is the true king, the one that it is worth following, the one who wants nothing but the best for you. We, like the Magi, claim to know who the true king is, and we claim on the authority because we know him. That also puts us in a very awkward position. Because it also means that as we go through our lives in other ways, as we live in ways that are not so in line with Christ, what does that say about who the true king is, right? If we are claiming to the world that we are the ones that know who the true king is, every time we worship, every time we declare that Jesus Christ is our Lord, and then we go on from there to do things that are often profoundly not in line with our faith, 
And what does that say about who the true king is? If we want to follow the analogy of this passage, it's a little bit like we fall at the feet of Jesus Christ and we acknowledge that this is the king But then immediately after that, we decide, you know what, we're just going to go back to Herod. After all, we're still in his kingdom, aren't we? That is what we do when we worship him on Sunday. And then the rest of the week, we talk poorly about our neighbors. When we worship Jesus Christ on Sunday... And then the rest of the week, we spend all of our time bad-mouthing all of the people next to us. When we worship him on Sunday, and yet we spend the rest of the week talking about how poor people are just lazy, and that's why they're like that. What? When we worship him on Sunday, and then the rest of the week, we destroy the world that he has made when we worship him on Sunday And then the rest of the week, we give in to the sins that we pleasure the most. As Christians, we are like the Magi in that we claim to know the true king. And what that means is like the Magi, it isn't enough just to worship. For our Lord also requires that we commit treason against all the other things that would take us from him and distract from him and do him harm as well. As we go into the season of epiphany, as we go into the season where we praise God for coming for the whole world, this is the passage we begin with. This is the passage that we begin with because this is the passage that shows us why it is that this child is not only worth following with all that we are, but is worth putting the rest of our life behind us as well. Because he is the true king. He is the one that wants what is best for his creation and for us. He is Jesus Christ. As we go from today, let us be mindful of how we declare that to the world around us. Amen. Today is also communion. And as we praise God for the fact that he has come for all people, communion is a great place to start with that as well. Because in communion, what are we doing? In communion, we are joining together. We are joining together not only all of the people here in this building, but also all of the other believers across our country who join in communion as well. The ones that will come after us, the ones that came before us, because just as we are served communion by our deacons and our deacons were served communion by their deacons, you can keep on going back like that, line after line, link after link, straight to the point of Jesus Christ himself. In communion, 
We are joining together with all of the people that praise the Lord he came for as well. And also in communion, we look forward to the day where we hope with everything we are, all of the people that are around us will join in one day also. For with God, all things are possible. And so we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. At McGregor EMC, we believe that communion is open to all believers whether you are a member here or not. We do ask, if you have little ones with you, that parents, you make that decision if they know what is going on yourselves. But most of all, as we take this cup and take this bread, let us reflect on just how big that actually is. And so as we pass out the elements, I'd ask that you spend the time in prayer, preparing yourself to receive our Lord.
together we eat. And together we drink. And I'd ask that you join me now in reciting the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to, we're going to close by singing, Be Still and Know That I Am God. And I invite you to stand if you're able. Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, and my love is with you in Jesus Christ. Go now and serve the one true King.